0: Welcome back to the show, and as I said in the opening, there with Bushy, uh, our first guest is Tim Lawless from Cool Logic, and it's it's it a delight always to talk to you. How are you doing, Tim?
1: Really well, thank you, Kevin, and thanks for inviting me on. And, and Bushy, good day. Uh, How are you, Tim? It's been a little while I think since um, we've had a chat, probably a few weeks at least, but <laughs> I can't believe it's been uh, been so long.
0: Yeah, well, we've been doing this show for you know well over a decade, and I think I met you even before you were at Cool Logic, Tim.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking, I mean, uh, I started at RP Data back then, back in 2007, and we'd had a long relationship well before then when I was at Collier's Mm -hmm. and PID. So, and uh, um, yeah, interesting to see how things have evolved, though, from, uh, you know, I I don't was Zoom even a thing back then? Probably. Probably. Oh, no, I don't
0: think it was. It wasn't. Um, because in those days, those early days, uh, the show was audio. It wasn't video. So, And that's when Zoom came along and that was brilliant. Hey, mate, I wanted to ask you right up front, what, what are your early memories of some of our times together? What, yeah, what are the things that occur to you now? Well, I think that the one thing that's always been a
1: constant is, is Kevin Turner, obviously. Um, <laughs> You've been there uh, um, through the through the rainy days and the sunny ones as well. So, yeah, absolutely. There's been some consistency in in uh, in the, the Kevin Turner side of things, but it's great to see that expanding out now as well. But I think more broadly, it's always the thing that's always struck me is just you know the show is um, it's just so regular and high frequency. It's been able to to move with the twists and turns in the market. You know, it's very on trend, and that's been the most valuable thing for me, just being able to tune in and uh, know exactly what's going on in the marketplace. And I think there's, I can't think of any examples, but uh, there's been so many times where I've I've tuned in and uh, um, got to know about something that I didn't really know too much about that was already happening in the market, thanks to the fact that there are so many people uh, joining the program, so many experts that have joined, uh, really providing an on-the-ground, right of the coalface perspective of what's happening in the housing market. Yeah, interesting. I'm, interesting I'm, too, I'm,
0: Tim. Oh, sorry, Bushy. Uh, no, you're interesting. Right, mate. I, I think I mentioned last week in the show that we've done about 5,000 interviews and going back over some of the early ones, there's still some really great lessons in those that are current today too, Tim.
1: Absolutely. And uh, yeah, a lot of the, the uh, I guess, the anecdotes and uh, the strategies and property don't change. You know, uh, uh, even though we've seen a lot of change in technology and the market's been through plenty of cycles over this time, I think the um, the fundamentals of investing and, and buying and selling uh, really don't change. Sure, there's going to be some different tactics and taking advantage of some of the new technologies uh, and the way we're seeing even you know, a lot more properties moving to online options, for example, than a lot of the uh, uh, the virtual tours that have become um, uh, so uh, I guess normal now. Uh, at the end of the day, um, you, know, you you really want to make sure that uh, you're. You're, you're positioning your property the best you possibly can in the market when you're selling, and when you're buying, you're getting the best possible price. And uh, I think uh, you know, just year in year out, that's, um, that that doesn't really change at all.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you've been at the forefront of some major change in terms of the way data is now helping uh, everyone in the property industry make much better and more informed decisions, uh, Tim. So what else have you seen that's changed in property investment over the last decade? And and what do you think's influenced those changes?
1: Well, uh, it's such, such a, a good point. I mean, the quality and the depth and uh, the timeliness of the data has been just a, a fundamental shift over the past uh, 10, 15, even 20 years. I, I think um, going back to the early days of RP data, you know, RP data was founded by Ray Catlin, uh, Back in uh, the early to mid '90s, and back then it was simply a, a, a resource used by real estate agents that gave them access to data about what properties were selling for. And you might recall one of the first big projects we did was we took a photo of every single property around the country. Essentially, <laughs> guys, guys on motor, one guy driving a motorbike, another guy in the back taking a photo and geotagging it. That was revolutionary for its time. You know, like a decade before Google um, uh, Street View. But since then, you know, we've we've seen companies like CoreLogic and uh, a lot of competitors springing out of the ground as well, just adding so much value to that um, that base level of data. So the government obviously collects all the transactional data, but the real value comes in well, adding to the timeliness of it, adding context from say uh, you know spatial overlays, adding aerial imagery, adding elevations, looking at zoning and town planning. Um, and then of course, overlaying all the different uh, you know, AI and machine learning are the most recent examples of how data's quality is being improved and then estimating the value and so forth. You know, so I think there's still a long way to go for data quality to still continue to improve. But looking back to where it was ten years ago, it's it's absolutely been um, a significant change in in how we can analyze property markets. And along the way, we've also seen a lot more methodologies introduced. You know, Ten years ago, we were just starting to move out of you know, the mainstream usage of, um, of property data was deriving a median price, really simplistic way of looking at the market, all the way through to now where we have you know, hedonic regressions, we have stratified medians, we have repeat sales indices, all really useful for different purposes. So I think for anybody investing or selling or active in the market anyway. There's been this real improvement of the way we can actually estimate the value of properties and uh, get a bit of a guide for what we should be or shouldn't be paying for a property uh, in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, those early days that you mentioned there, Tim, about how revolutionary what that was, and we going around taking photographs and so on. I, I, I do recall when the internet really started to to gather pace, uh, real estate agents lost that power of the information. You know, there was so much information there, and they were the gatekeepers of that. And then uppy data sort of opened all that up because i remember when i first started in real estate we have to do um title searches and and things like just to get information so we could actually do a listing um but but the internet certainly opened it up and i i think full marks to you and your organization too and the way that you've involved the consumer uh in keeping that data alive you know giving them the opportunity to go in and how have you improved your property and that's going to have a real key influence on the value as well tim
1: yeah, absolutely. I think transparency is uh, is really important in housing and uh, to have the, the real estate industry you know, empowered to see all that data was was certainly a good thing. It helped real estate agents really um, when they're listing a property to really get the best value or, and, and provide a benchmark to the prospective vendor about what a property is going to be listed for. But for a consumer not being able to see the same side of things, I think they were quite disempowered. In many ways, and uh, as you say, the internet and a lot of consumer websites where you can actually get a lot of this information for free has really empowered the consumer side of things. But it's also made their decision making a lot more complex. There's a lot of data to choose from, and uh, and quite often it can be uh, showing different uh, different things in the market as well. So definitely, my, my advice to consumers would be find the source that you're confident with and comfortable with, and, and stick to it because. Uh, you can get a little bit overwhelmed by the amount of information that's out there now. It's gone full full other, other end of the spectrum.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. It's the, the curation and the interpretation of that data that, that is the real art and skill these days, Tim. But uh, tell us, what have been your top property takeaways and learnings over the last 10 years or so?
1: Yeah. Man, there's so many, trying try to cast my my mind back a couple of years ago is hard, to be honest, Bushy, but uh, over the last 10 years, I think the most important thing is to remember that uh, you know, time heals all wounds, even in in some of these extreme housing markets we've seen over the past decade, like the mining town boom, and then the spectacular crash of mining regions. We're just starting to see some of these regions finally move into a nominal recovery now, You know, like uh, more than um, well, nearly 10 years after the peak in those markets. So the market is very cyclical. I think it's probably the most important thing to remember. And a lot of people try to, to time their purchasing with the cycles of the market, which is notoriously hard. Easy in retrospect, but uh, you know, I think for anybody buying to the marketplace of the last 10 years, uh, if you've bought into the marketplace um, on your own timeframes and uh, you know, just working to your own budget, chances are if you've held on to that property long enough, you've, you've probably done pretty well out of it. So probably time is is the most important thing time in the market, rather than uh, trying to time the market is, uh, is critical. I think for anybody looking to get in, um, yeah, no, no doubt, people who have timed the market well and intentionally done so hats off to them. You know, you can really make a lot of money doing but buying at the bottom and buying at the top and, uh, so To Warren Buffett's words of you know being greedy when others are cautious, is probably uh, has got a lot to do with it. But um, there is a bit of risk in that as well. So I think most people just simply you're not going to be able to time the market as uh, as well as what um, everybody would would like to be able to. The other thing I think over the past ten years or so is just you know looking at the different performance of the markets. I was having a look at some of the data just before we came onto the call. And see. Now, which markets have actually doubled in value over the past 10 years? Because a lot of people still have this, I guess, this rule of thumb in, in the back of their mind that they should see their property value double every 10 years. Generally, you know, that's, that's more the exception rather than the norm, over, at least over the past 10 years. It's only been Sydney and Hobart where, on average, uh, we've seen housing prices rise more than 100% in a 10-year period of time. In fact, look at somewhere like Perth, you can see Perth housing values are only up about 15% over uh, the past 10 years, go to regional WA, and uh, they're still a little bit down on where they were um, over 10 years. Um, Go to somewhat like a Brisbane, which has generally been a really strong market, but over 10 years, housing values are up about 71%. So, yeah, there is a lot of diversity in the market. And uh, my my guess looking forward is a lot of these markets that have underperformed over the past, uh, say 10 years, might be the markets to actually look at um, over the next 10 years because they generally tend to show very good value and uh, higher yields, uh, much more affordable entry price as well.
0: Yeah, that does a nice segue into our next question of you, Tim, and I want you to take the uh, crystal ball out now, have a look at the next five to 10 years. Uh, you gave us a great example there of what's happened over the last 10 and how that may not happen in the next 10 or it might be totally the reverse. What, what do you think of the big influences over the next decade?
1: yeah, I think that the biggest one is going to be affordability. We know afford- even over the past ten years, housing affordability has been front and center, and uh, you know affordability has become very challenging in markets like Sydney and Melbourne, not necessarily in paying down your mortgage. that's that's generally been pretty straightforward. When I talk about affordability, it's more about getting your foot in the door, um being able to fund your deposit and your transactional costs. Um, and thanks to very low interest rates, once you're in the market, servicing the mortgage has generally been uh, uh, pretty straightforward for most. In fact, we've, we've typically seen mortgage arrears in Australia over the past 10 years holding well below the 1% mark, which is quite uh, quite phenomenal. Going forward, I think affordability will still be, be some focus. We probably will be moving through a bit of a down phase over the next, say, 12 to 18 months. Um, so affordability will naturally improve through that time. We'll also see higher wages growth as well coming through, which will help to uh, improve people's ability to get into the market. And of course, from a government policy side of things, we are starting to see the government really focusing on improving home ownership. Maybe that's just uh, as we lead into a federal election, but uh, I think there is some seriousness there from both sides of the political fence to, to help more people get into the market. But the underlying issues around housing affordability There's a lot more to be done rather than just giving people a leg up into the market on the supply side of things. I wouldn't be surprised if we do start to see a lot more focus on town planning, trying to bring in more densities, for example, along the transport spines, especially in the most expensive cities like Sydney and Melbourne, seeing some of those areas densified, not necessarily high rise, although I think there will be a lot of that, but a lot more focus on medium rise, townhomes, that type of thing, really just trying to Um, get better usage of a better, you know, the highest and best use of land along uh, those major infrastructure nodes where um, people are getting in and out of the cities. I think the other thing to look for the next 10 years is going to be the role of technology. We've already seen that ramping up over the last few years with a lot more people utilizing things like virtual, uh, virtual tours of homes, uh, using drones a lot more, even using, um, uh, technology to uh, to map out the internals of, of a home, uh, producing floor plan floor plans and so forth, using a lot more uh, of that drone photography to, uh, to provide indications around the position of a property, um, the roofing materials, the the overall uh, um, layout of a property on on the block itself, its orientation, and then even going forward even further from the data side of things, we are expecting there's going to be a lot more focus in uh, things like machine learning and AI providing an even uh, better focus on estimating values and uh, understanding where housing trends are going um, and taking those methodologies to the next level harnessing all this new computer power and storage ability that we're seeing from the cloud as well
2: yeah tell me uh, we've COVID's really shaken up the way uh, we live and work over the last couple of years uh, project, projecting forward uh, are you seeing out of a other changes and trends in the way we actually live and and work and, and do, do the way we do. And what's likely to impact on this as you see it moving forward in the way property is going to be bought and sold in the future, Tim?
1: It's been remarkable, hasn't it, just through COVID and how we've really seen that change in, in living environments and working environments fast-tracked. In many ways, we've seen a real improvement in housing affordability because people have been empowered and enabled to move a little bit further from where they work. You know, regional population, uh, um, I think, is going to be something, a regional population growth is going to be something that's at least semi permanent as we see more and more uh, employers uh, I- enabling their, their staff to work remotely at least part of the time. I know at CoreLogic, we've formalized our hybrid working policy. We expect staff to be in the office a couple of days a week, but they can work remotely the rest of it. And inherently, that's going to be flexible. So for those industry sectors where people can work remotely, obviously, it doesn't work for every industry. And I think we are going to see some permanency to people being able to live in the outer fringes of the cities or the regional markets. That probably puts um, a lot of these commutable regional areas in a really good position. So if if you're within, say, a two hour commute of one of the major capitals, be it Newcastle or a Wollongong or the Blue Mountains outside of Sydney or the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast or Toowoomba and Southeast Queensland, I think these markets have structurally changed. The demand in these markets has structurally changed. We will see more people looking for those lifestyle qualities, but also the commutability, along with the livability, driving demand into these areas the affordability of these a lot of these regions has, has also you know been diminished because of that higher demand no longer can we say that some um, a lot of these really popular lifestyle markets provide an affordability advantage uh, because quite often they they're on par with some of the blue chip areas of the capital city counterparts now
0: based on those thoughts tim um what what do you think the lessons will be here for people who aren't in the market right now but are planning to get in either principal place of residence or maybe start to build a portfolio what what do you see those influences how will that impact them
1: yeah it's uh, you know a lot of people talk about it's more and more components of the market are, are being blocked from access to the market which i don't really agree with you know people's attitudes and preferences on housing is going to have to adapt. You know, not everybody can afford to buy a detached house. So that's kind of back to my point a bit earlier on around densification and uh, um, different types of housing options. I think a lot more 1st home buyers, for example, will be choosing to densify rather than maybe buying into the outer fringes, for example, especially if they, if they need to commute to work every day. So buying into a townhome or an apartment and then building up some equity in, in that initial purchase to then upgrade into a detached home or uh, somewhere closer to the city or closer to the water is sounds like the logical uh, way that um, people will, will engage with the marketplace, at least initially, in combat affordability constraints. I think also uh, when you look at, um, say, people engaging with the marketplace, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more and more people buying sight unseen. And this is something that we've obviously seen through COVID. And it's again been enabled by technology. People were able to actually you know, physically, uh, sorry, um, uh, 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 virtually tour a property and get probably just as much detail from a virtual inspection, maybe with somebody there who who could be um, doing their, their, uh, um, their building inspection and the pest inspection on behalf of them, of course but getting a probably just as good a feel for the quality of the property and the nuances of a property without even being there. So I wouldn't be surprised if if we see that even taken to the next level, as we see more and more technologies and enabling people to to inspect the property without having to actually be there. Um, Of course, uh, we probably will see more foreign buyers coming back into Australia as well. We're already seeing a trend towards more foreign buying activity, still a little bit less than what it was pre-COVID, but I wouldn't be surprised as overseas borders reopen and we start to see uh, foreign students returning and, and migration picking up again, we do start to see some renewed interest from uh, from overseas buying as well. And of course, being able to to virtually inspect the property is going to go a long way to, to supporting that.
2: Yeah, brilliant. Now, Kevin has certainly been right at the centre of what's been happening in, in property over the last 10 years, but how do you see Realty Talk helping to enable the future that you're talking about as a trusted voice of property in the days uh, of the next 10 years tim it's
1: exactly the same like I'd be really surprised if you guys could do anything better so it's you know just just staying on on the cutting edge of trends uh you know engaging with uh, all the various experts in the marketplace be it if they're real estate agents or buyers agents or data experts or economists uh, policy makers it's you've you've done all that and i think it's that the most important thing is just staying on trends, uh, keeping the, the marketplace informed about what's happening with property trends and uh, different uh, uh, changes in policy, in, uh, in technology. You know, I think you guys have done that extraordinarily well. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of uh, why I try to fix something that isn't broken, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I'd see it. But- the, the trend or the uh, the future of, uh, of real estate talk um, really emulating the, the past. It's uh, it's really just just doing exactly the same things that you're doing.
0: Well, mate, i got to say we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for people like you who've so willingly given us uh, so much wonderful commentary over the years. So, Tim, personally, thank you very much. I appreciate that and I look forward to us working, you know, even closer with you in the years to come. So, Tim, all the best, mate, and thanks again for your support.
1: Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, Bushy. And uh, Thanks, look forward to the, this conversation in 10 years' time, eh? <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: indeed. <laughs> exactly. I'd, I'd like we'll to we just have really less hands. In
0: 10 years' time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> good on you, mate. Thank you. Hey, stay with us because uh, straight after this very short break, Bushy and I'll be back with Margaret Lomas. See you then.